Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Overcome. All right, well, John 1, 12, John, who also wrote Revelation, wrote his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12. He said, as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so when that time was when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became part of the family of God. And Jesus not only became your Lord, Jesus not only became your Savior, Jesus became your big brother. Hebrews chapter two, verse 11 says that the Lord is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And if you're a female this morning, the Lord is not ashamed to call you his sisters. Now, one of the things that big brothers do is they protect their little brothers and sisters from bullies. I'll never forget, as a little scrawny kid growing up in South Tampa, I had two big brothers, and uh, there was a bully in our neighborhood. And the bully liked to go around and intimidate kids half his size. I was one of those kids. One day he was intimidating me, trying to bully me. But it was a bad day for the bully because my big brother saw all this go down. And I still have this image in my mind of my big brother running and chasing the big bully down the street all the way to his house. And the guy ran into his house. And of course, I'm running behind seeing all this stuff. Like, this is exciting. Man, go, go, right? And all of a sudden the guy, the big bully, closes the screen door and locks it just in time. And my brother's here, the screen's here, and the big bully's here. And I, I, I don't remember, it's been a long time. I can't imagine. And probably, I, I, it's probably not appropriate for me to share with you, if I did remember, what my brother said to that guy on that day. But I'm sure it was something like this. Don't you ever mess with my little brother again. And he never did. Now, just like I was no match for the bully, he was no match for my big brother. In the same way, you and I, ladies and gentlemen, are no match for the big bully Satan. But he is no match for our big brother, Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Revelation chapter 12 today. You see, if we'll just stay close to our big brother, we won't have to worry about getting beat up by the big bully Satan, defeated by the bully Satan. Through Christ, we can overcome. We're gonna talk more about being overcomers later on in the chapter, but first, we gotta look at John's next vision, okay? So half of the vision is about things in the past, and half of the vision is about things in the future. If you're taking notes, here's where we're going today. John's vision in Revelation chapter 12, verses one through five, concerns the past, and verses six through 17 concerns the future. Okay, and so looking down at chapter 12, verse one now, let's look at the past vision. And a great sign, okay, just notice the word sign there. By the way, this is the most symbolic chapter in Revelation, so there's lots of splaining to do. You ever seen Lucy? A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman, you may want to underline woman, 
clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of, you may want to underline, 12 stars. Verse 2, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great, you may want to underline, red dragon with how many heads and how many horns? And on his heads, on those seven heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down, you may want to underline, a third of the stars. A third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Verse five, she gave birth to, please underline, male child. One who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child, thank God, was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, so here in the beginning of Revelation 12, John has a vision of the past, primarily about the past. The first thing he sees is a sign in heaven. It's a woman. The woman is clothed in the sun. She's wearing a crown of 12 stars, and she has the moon underneath her feet. And so what in the world does this woman represent? I'm going to give you some false views, and then we'll get to the truth here in a minute. But some people think that this woman represents the constellation Virgo, or the Virgin, and that this sign that we just read about is going to happen this September. They are saying, this is growing in popularity among evangelical churches, that on September 23rd of this year, the sun is going to appear in Virgo, and the moon is going to be at the bottom of that constellation of stars, and because of this, some are even going so far as to say that the Lord is coming back on September 23rd. Here we go again. I mean, how many times do the date setters in the past continue to set dates for the Lord's return with all these crazy theories? And so if you're new to the Bible, what you need to know is that Matthew chapter 24, it's all about the end times and the author is Jesus. And Jesus said twice in Matthew 24, first time in Matthew 24, verse 36, he said, quote, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Please say, no one knows. No one knows. That's why we don't set dates. Then, if you didn't get that, just eight verses down, he says in verse 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Please say, do not expect. Okay, and so I, I, I'll go on the record to say this, that the Lord is not coming back on September 23rd. The reason why is because there's a whole lot of people who are expecting him to return on the 23rd, and he's not gonna come at a time that we're expecting him to come. Okay, and so he's not, don't set, don't fall into that trap. I mean, haven't we learned our lesson from guys in the past like Edgar Wisenant? who wrote 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Gonna Come Back in 1988. You remember that book? Sold millions of copies. I don't understand how the evangelical world can just, like, you know, just absorb all this stuff and buy all this stuff and get all excited. And of course, 
The Lord did not, he said, the Lord's coming back on the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, September of 1988, and guess what? The Lord did not come back. So you know what he did the next day? He changed his date. How convenient. <laughs> the Lord's gonna come back in October. Guess what? The Lord didn't come back in October. So he changed his date again to 1989. And people kept buying his books. And the Lord didn't come back. Haven't we learned from the fiasco of Harold Camping and Family Radio? And Camping said that the Lord is coming back on May 21st, 2011. All over buses and billboards across America. May 21st, 2011, the Lord's coming back. Everybody gets all excited, right? What happened on May 22nd? Everybody felt awkward. <laughs> the Lord didn't come back. Haven't we learned anything from the fiasco of the, the blood moons? And I won't ask how many of you guys bought those books. Okay, so, hey, stop setting dates. Here's all we have to do. Just stick with this book and the clear teaching of this book and be ready because the Lord could come back at any moment, at a time that you don't expect. And so if you want to learn more about why the Lord's not coming back on September 23rd, uh, I'll give you a tool. You can go to answersingenesis.org and in the search engine, type September 23rd. And in there is a good article by Dr. Danny Faulkner, who's got graduate degrees in physics and astronomy, and he goes a lot deeper than I have time to go into this whole subject this morning. Okay, so what does the woman represent? The Roman Catholic Church says this woman represents Mary. Now, that is understandable, that interpretation, because the woman gives birth to a child who will rule over all nations as Mary gave birth to Christ. But, remember, you gotta interpret every verse in the context of his chapter. When you read, continue to read uh, chapter 12, you'll see that Mary just doesn't fit. Here's why, because around verse 14, this woman is fleeing, in, uh, fleeing persecution during the time of the Great Tribulation for three and a half years. Mary, at that time in the future, during the Great Tribulation, is not going to be fleeing persecution. She's gonna be where she's been for 2,000 years, up in heaven. And so with all due respect to our Catholic friends, Mary is not the correct interpretation. So what does this woman represent? How do we know? If you're taking notes, here it is. The woman is Israel. The woman is Israel. You say, how do you know? Because she's wearing a crown of 12 stars which represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so if you wanna make a little note on, on whatever you're writing on, just put Genesis 37, Joseph's dream. Genesis 37, Joseph's dream. Um, Jacob, his father, was the son and the moon represented Rachel, his mother, and the stars represented Jacob's sons. And so we know, if you're brand new to the Bible, that there's Abraham, the father of faith. God promises him in Genesis chapter 12, I'm gonna make your descendants into a great nation through Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then how many sons did Jacob have? Go ahead and say it. 12 sons, 12 stars in her crown. This is Israel. Now, notice in verse three that this woman has a fierce enemy. It says in verse three, and another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads, 
seven diadems, okay? So what does the dragon represent? I'm gonna try to make this as crystal clear as possible this morning so you understand Revelation chapter 12, just adding a line here, and that is that the dragon represents Satan. And now in this vision of past, of the past, we get a quick glimpse into the future as John talks about how the dragon has seven heads and 10 horns. What does that represent? That represents the final form of human Gentile government. Now, I did a pastor's conference last summer um, and I taught the, the, the book of Daniel. What you gotta understand is that Daniel is the primary key to understand the book of Revelation. They go together. And so Daniel, you don't, we're not gonna go there now, we don't have time, but I'll just share it with you. In Daniel chapter seven, Daniel has a similar vision of a beast, and the beast has 10 horns. And as Daniel, in Daniel seven, is contemplating, thinking about the 10 horns, he says, a little horn. Does, it, does anybody remember this passage? A little horn rises up, before whom three of the horns are plucked out. A little horn. And Daniel said that this little horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and his mouth spoke great things. The little horn in Daniel 7, the little horn had a big mouth. And the little horn is the coming Antichrist. And so we'll explain all this in detail as we continue to go in the book of Revelation, but what you need to know is that the final form of human Gentile government will be a revised Roman Empire. Somehow, someway, the Roman Empire is gonna get back together and it's gonna initially be made up of 10 nation, a 10-nation federation represented by the 10 horns of the beast. And as that's happening sometime in the future, Many scholars believe it's a Western European coalition of 10 nations. But nonetheless, we know for a fact, 10 nation federation as that final form of human Gentile government, by the way, represented also in Daniel 2 by the 10 toes of the great image, as that final form of human Gentile government is coming upon the earth, what's gonna happen is that a politician with a big mouth is going to rise on the world stage. He's gonna get into a conflict with three of these nations, and just like three of the horns were plucked out before the little horn, so the Antichrist is gonna subdue and conquer three of the 10 nations. A 10-nation federation is gonna turn into a seven-nation, during the tribulation, a seven-nation federation marked or represented by the seven crowned heads in verse three. Is this making any sense to you guys? Just say yes if it is. Because if you say no, I'm not gonna reteach it. All right, so we gotta keep going. <laughs> Verse four says that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. We're back to the vision of the past. Who are the stars that were cast down? The way you can do that, you interpret the Bible with the Bible. So who are the, who's the third of the stars that are cast down? We'll jump over real quick to Verse nine. Look at verse nine. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his what? There it is. His angels were thrown down with him. So if you're taking notes, 
We'll add another line here. The woman is Israel. The 12 stars are the 12 tribes of Israel. The dragon is Satan. And a third of the stars are fallen angels. And we've already taught this, so I don't have to reteach it, but you remember in the initial fall of Lucifer, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, there he is. He's the, the worship leader of heaven, many scholars believe. He's beautiful, he's perfect. His body, many scholars believe, is like a musical instrument. And all of a sudden, he made a choice. Angels can choose. And he made a choice to allow his heart to become filled with pride. He became enamored with his beauty and his gifts. And the next thing you know, he's like, I'm gonna exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'm gonna be like El Elyon, the most high God. And he actually deceives a third of the angels to follow him in a rebellion against God. They are booted out. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Lucifer became Satan, fallen angels became demons. And that's a lot of the reason why we're in the mess we're in today on planet Earth. Okay, so look at verse four. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. So here's Satan standing before Israel, who's about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. Praise God. One who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I think we all know who the male child is who's gonna rule all nations. We'll add a line. The male child, obviously, is Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel gave birth to the Messiah. God promised Abraham back in chapter Genesis 12, verses one through three, Abraham, your descendants are gonna be like the stars of heaven. Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, the promise of the Messiah. And so Abraham, through your descendants of Isaac and Jacob and his 12 sons, I'm gonna make a great nation. And from that great nation, Messiah will one day come. And sure enough, in the fullness of time, Jesus came born of a virgin. He was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 100% God, 100% man. And he was born, the male child was born. He was born specifically of the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. Israel gave birth to the Christ child, and this child was destined to grow up for greatness. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied, and it's on your Christmas card this year. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's our Jesus, that's the male child, and he will rule over all nations. I say it every single week, evil will not continue indefinitely. The sorry shape of this world will not go on forever. Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is coming back and he will rule over all nations in fulfillment of this and many other prophecies. Now the dragon, when Jesus was born, tried to devour the male child. We know that happened through Herod. It's a vision of the past. Herod failed. And eventually, 
This male child is caught up, end of verse five, into heaven. Of course, that represents the ascension of Jesus Christ. And there we have the vision of the past. Now, in between verses five and six, you need to understand that at least 2,000 years pass. Okay, so the end of verse five, the child is caught up to God to his throne. That's the ascension of Jesus. Scholars debate either AD 32, AD 33. Then the very next verse talks about the woman, look at it please, the woman, that's Israel, fled into the wilderness, most likely the Jordanian wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for how many days, ladies and gentlemen? 1,260 days, that's 42 months, that's three and a half years, that is the great tribulation. And so in verse five, we're around AD 32, verse AD 32, 33, in verse six now, we are at the great tribulation. Who knows what date that is? Sometime in the future. In between five and six, thousands of years pass. By the way, that is common in prophetic literature. When you read Isaiah, it happens over and over and over again. You'll have a verse, hundreds of years later, another verse is fulfilled. It happens in Daniel, etc., and it's happening here in Revelation. Okay, so let's look at verse six again. The woman, that's Israel, flees into the wilderness. The reason we believe it's Jordan there is because, I don't have time to get into it too deep, but in the last days, Edom escapes the Antichrist's grip. Edom is present day Jordan. So a lot of people believe that in the second half of the tribulation, Israel flees into the Jordanian mountains, lots of places to hide, lots of caves, lots of caverns. The city, Petra, the rock city, Many scholars believe that's where she's running to after the abomination of desolation at the midpoint of the tribulation. God takes care of her in that wilderness for 1,260 days. We're gonna read more about this flight of the woman in verse 14, but now we jump into the second fall of Satan. Look at verse seven. Now war arose in heaven Michael and his angels, that's holy angels, fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels, those are fallen angels, fought back. But he, the dragon, was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver, of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Here we have the second fall of Satan and his angels that's gonna take place during the tribulation period. And so you have Michael and his team of holy angels fighting against Satan, Lucifer, and his team of fallen angels and they're going at it. I think they're probably going at it right now. There's spiritual warfare that takes place in the heavenlies, in the unseen realm. If we, I said this a few weeks ago, if we could see, if we were given spiritual eyes like Elisha's servant, and we could see angels and devils fighting, that's what they're doing, spiritual warfare. It's gonna happen in the tribulation period, and guess what, praise the Lord, Michael and his team wins the day, and they throw down the devil and his angels for a second time the devil is thrown down and he is angry. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now, finally, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Why? For the accuser of our brothers, please notice that, accuser of our brothers, has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they, those are believers during the tribulation, have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. Here comes the application. By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So after Satan is thrown down a second time from heaven, there's gonna be a party up there. It's gonna be kinda like, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, they're jumping up and down, they're screaming, woo, right? Why? The accuser of our brothers is gone. No more access to heaven. Rejoice, heaven, but woe to you, earth. His wrath is great because his time is short. Now, here's the application part, okay? This second fall of Satan doesn't happen until the tribulation period. We're not there yet. That means that right now, somehow, someway, Satan has access into heaven. And you say, well, what's he doing up there? He's accusing you. He's accusing you before God. You ever, you know, just kind of live in your life and all of a sudden a wave of memories of your past sin come right before you, smacks you right in the face. And next thing you know, you're like, oh. What's happening? The devil is accusing you. He's trying to put you on a false guilt trip. He's trying to defeat you. He's trying to get you to feel like you're not worthy of God, so just stay away from God. He accuses. This is like all above my pay grade. I don't understand how this happens in the spiritual realm, but Satan right now has access to heaven, and I'll prove it from Job chapter one. If you're taking notes, um, just look at Job chapter one. We'll put it up on the screen here. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the who? Satan came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, I have been patrolling the earth. You remember how 1 Peter 5 says, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked, have you noticed my servant Job? Conversation continues. God says to Satan, Job fears God and stays away from evil. Now, as this conversation is going on up in heaven, Satan, true to his name, begins to accuse Job. Well, God, the only reason that Job follows you, the only reason that he fears you, the only reason that he stays away from evil is because you have blessed him. You've prospered. Look how rich that dude is. Take away what he has, and he'll curse you to your face, God. And most of us know the rest of the story of Job. Now, the question is, two questions, this is not in the notes, 
But I wonder when God and Satan have a conversation about you and me, that if the Lord, God forbid it happened, but if the Lord were to take away our stuff, if we would walk away from the Lord. Is the only reason you're following the Lord is because he's blessing you? Is the only reason you're following the Lord because he's making you rich? Some of you are thinking right now, Pastor, I'm far from rich and I love the Lord. <laughs> but, but, but see, that's an important question. And by the way, we don't give primarily to get. I'm gonna tithe so the Lord will give me all this material wealth and I can drive the Beamer. That's the side benefit that God will bless you if you tithe, but the main reason we tithe is not to get, the main reason we tithe is to worship and honor the Lord. Right? And so here's another question. Do you think that Job is the only person that Satan accuses before God? No, he's accusing you. It says in the Bible, we just read it, day and night. Again, it's above my pay grade. I don't understand how this all happens in the spiritual realm. But he's accusing you and I day and night. God, did you see what he did? You gotta judge him. You're a righteous God, right? You're not just a God of love, you're a God of justice, okay? Sin has to be paid. You gotta do something. <laughs> did you hear what she said? God, you gotta, you gotta step in. You gotta judge her right now. That's what's going on up in heaven. And so how in the world do we overcome the enemy? And how, do, how in the world do we overcome his accusations against us? the same way the believers in the tribulation overcame him. And so look at verse 11 again. This is so huge. And they have overcome or conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. If you're taking notes, how do we overcome the enemy? Number one, the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is our only hope. The first way we overcome the enemy is to accept God's promise of forgiveness to us through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his what? Blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, that's a promise, take it to the bank. You are forgiven. No matter how bad you feel, no matter how guilty you feel, no matter how many times Satan accuses you, if you have turned to Christ, you're forgiven. His blood has washed you. And it's all because, last two words, his grace. And so here's what happens. Our sin, the Bible says, separates us from God. Here's our big brother, Jesus. He's the one who's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, and sovereign. He's right here. And what happens is that some people don't know him. Some people are trying to still work their way to heaven. Some people think, if I can just be good enough, maybe God will accept me when I take my last breath. And they're out here, they're away from the big brother, so they're getting beat up by the big bully. Other people are born-again Christians. And so what happens with them? They sometimes fall. Sometimes they fail. And then what happens is the enemy, the accuser, comes along and he begins to accuse them 
before God and putting them on a guilt trip. Look what you did. You're not worthy of him anymore. Stop praying. Stop reading the word. Stop going to church to worship. You, you, who do you think you are? Hypocrite. And so what happens is that Christians are way over here and they're out of fellowship with their big brother. What's happening? They're getting the snot beat out of them by the big bully. So what needs to happen, whether you're in the first group or the second group, is you need to turn, turn, everybody please say turn. Turn from your sin the best way you know how and put your hope and your trust and your faith in one thing and one thing only, the blood of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, he will forgive you. He will clean you up. And you'll be close, clean and close to your big brother. And when the big bully comes around, then Jesus steps in front and says, don't mess with my little brother or sister. The blood of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, is the basis of your justification. And the blood of Jesus is the basis of your sanctification. The first time you came to Christ, you were justified, just as if you've never sinned. All sin, past, present, future, washed away in the blood of Jesus. In him we have, past tense, redemption through our works. Is that what it says? His blood. But not just the basis of your justification, it's the basis of our sanctification. Because guess what? Sometimes we screw up and we mess up as Christians. And instead of allowing ourselves to get beat up, beat up by the big bully, we need to 1 John 1, 9 our sin. If we confess our sins, he, big brother, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we're back with the Lord again. You see, the problem with some people that they don't like this teaching is because they want to be all that before the Lord. Look at my morality, look at my goodness. I deserve a place with you. It has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. It has everything to do, like Cain, with their offering of the fruit of the ground, the sweat of their brow. Look who I am. And they're far away from their big brother. Ladies and gentlemen, what we need is humility. What we need to admit is that we're all sinners and we all come short of the glory of God. And our only hope is Jesus and his blood. Not religion, not works, not good deeds. Blood, period. His, there's power in the blood. And this is not about pleading the blood of Jesus in prayer. With all due respect to our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, this is not saying, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. No, this is about you and I when we're hit with the guilt, trusting that he shed his blood because he loves us and we are absolutely forgiven no matter what we did, no matter what we said. And that kindness of God really should lead us to repentance. How can we overcome the enemy? The blood of the lamb. But if you're taking notes, the word of our testimony. You see what the devil does? He tries to defeat us through doubt. He wants us to doubt the Lord, doubt the Lord's goodness. And what we have to do is we have to share our testimony with others because every time we do that, hey man, this is how Jesus saved me through his blood. This is how he set me free, through his blood. Every time we share our testimony, every single one of you has a different story. Some of your testimonies are amazing. 
who you were before Christ, how you met Christ, who you are after Christ. All the glory goes to the Lord. Every time you share that, guess what? Your faith is strengthened. You're reminded of how good and awesome and real Jesus is, and the doubts of the devil just fall to the ground. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. We overcome him by the word of our testimony, and we overcome him. Finally, it says in verse 11, please look at verse 11. They loved not their lives even unto death. We overcome the devil by selfless abandonment to God's will. God has a will for your life. And it's not about you getting up every morning, going to work, coming home, watching three hours of TV, going to bed, getting up the next day, going to work, watching three hours of TV, going to bed, year after year, decade after decade, gray hair, Next thing you know, you're 85, and you spent your entire life getting up, going to work, watching three hours of TV, and going to bed. No, how, how many of you guys understand God's got a lot better plan than that for your life? And I don't know what God's will is for your life. I just know what it is for my life. So find out what God's will is for your life, and then do it without any fear let the chips fall. During the tribulation period, what's gonna happen is the Antichrist and his forces are gonna try to intimidate with bodily harm and death the tribulation saints. You need to shut up about Jesus or we're gonna kill you, is what they're gonna be told. And these tribulation saints are gonna remember Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, Jesus said but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And they're gonna say, hey, kill me if you want. Hey, kill my body, it's just an outer shell. This body is not the real me. The real me is my soul. You can't kill my soul. Go ahead, like John Huss being burned at the stake, singing to the Lord as the flames are coming up. How do you get that kind of faith? God gives it to you when you need it. And so in this day and age in America, we're not, our, our lives are not being threatened. It, our brothers and sisters in the 1040 window right now, their lives are being threatened, and many of them are losing their heads. But we're in the bubble in America. So what's gonna happen is that the Lord this week will open a door for you to share your testimony. And what's gonna happen is that you're gonna be ready to share your story about how Jesus saved you, and you're gonna hear a little voice in your head don't do that, they'll think you're a fanatic. Don't do that, just live the Christian life, you don't have to say anything. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm all for living the Christian life, but here, here's what you need to know, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. At some point, we gotta speak. Okay, so I'm not saying be a jerk and shove it down people's throats, what I'm saying is that the Lord, if you pray, will open doors in conversation for you to just share your story. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a story, you say, oh, I've always been a Christian since I was born, then you really need to check and make sure that you're truly saved. I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation, but, but what you need to know is that there should be a time as you look back when you came under conviction of sin and saw your need for a savior and that you came to Jesus as your only hope and he changed your life. That should be all of our story, no matter what age we were saved. 
And so even if you're saved when you're five years old and you had to repent of, you know, um, beating up your little sister, some, there's gotta be some type of story of here's what I was before, here's how I met Jesus, here's what he's done in my life. Share it without fear, let the chips fall. Selflessly abandon yourself to the will of God. And so now what we're gonna do is we're gonna read verses 13 to the end of the chapter, slowly. I'm gonna explain it as we go, and then some closing comments and we'll be done. Okay, so please look at verse 13. And Dominic, you can come on up. And when the dragon, okay, you guys know who the dragon is, go ahead and say his name. Saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, who's the woman? Israel, the remnant of Israel, who had given birth to the male child. Who's the male child? Okay, verse 14. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle. And some people say, that's America. And man, I hope they're right. That would be so cool if we were like still good allies with Israel and we came and rescued them. But there's no evidence of that, so I'm not gonna teach that. Whatever the great eagle is, is gonna help Israel escape so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, Jordan, to the place where she is to be nourished for, okay, everybody look at me real quick, a time, that's singular, times, plural, and half a time. That's three and a half years. Verse 15, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. The flood is the Antichrist's army. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. So great earthquake most likely swallows the Antichrist's army pursuing Israel straight down into hell. Verse 17, and the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Well, who's that? It tells us. On those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of who? That's Gentile believers. We are the offspring of Israel. We get the Bible from the Jews. We get our Messiah from the Jews. We get the prophets from the Jews. And he, the Antichrist, stood on the sand of the sea. And so I'll throw up those interpretations up on the screen, but in, in closing, let me say this. You and I have an enemy. And the enemy is a big bully. And he wants to devour us. And so what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves and keep really short accounts with our big brother. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to receive his cleansing. We need to be close. And then what happens is when the big bully comes, our big brother does this. And we overcome, not because we're so great, but because he's so great. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. 
If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.